uh, has taken a beating for numerous reasons. Um, some people will tell you that Paul is a chauvinist, and it is evident in this text, in this book is what I mean. Um, the charismatics have literally focused their whole foundation on this book, uh, whatever that blend of charismatics may be. Um, uh, I see a lot of people take this book and say, this book is purely cultural. You can't really do anything with it. We're not even sure why it's been canonized. Okay? And that comes from conservative evangelicals, I've heard that. And the reason that this book is literally in your scriptures is because of 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is, here's ministry. And I guarantee you, if you go read 2 Corinthians and ask yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit, what is ministry? You will not see it promoted in our churches today as what Paul endured in 2 Corinthians. You won't see it. Because we have literally drifted that far away from what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords has called us to. And it's an amazing time in the body of Christ. I believe it's an amazing time in this church um, I wish I knew what the outcome would be. But God has not privileged me to that. But I can tell you this. Should God tarry, and, um, and I stay at this place, I will press on to 2 Corinthians so that we know what ministry is. Let me tell you something about ministry. It is not taking a trip. It is not visiting a third world country. Okay, it is not investing in the places that the Lord God is moving. It is being faithful to what He gives you. Okay, and let me tell you something about ministry. He will always give you what you never want. All right, because if I go out and seek what I want, then as Stephanie and my wife shared last week in song, who will touch the glory? He will put you in the place that you are ill-equipped, that you are uncomfortable and you have no ability nor talent whatsoever. And you know why? He don't share his glory. And the song that was just saying, have you no scar? How many of us want to get through life with no scar? Come on, you don't have to be bashful. I don't want, I don't want to hurt. I don't want emotional hurt. I don't want physical pain. I don't want any of that stuff. Okay, now maybe you guys do. So I will cheerfully give you my scar. When I read 2 Corinthians, and I see that the Apostle Paul had returned there, and a group 
in that church stood up and accused him of cheapening the gospel for sexual favor and no one defended him. And you know what his response was? You are my beloved. And all that I do, I do for your strengthening. Okay? It's great to work with people who like you, isn't it? It's even better to work with those who might like you a lot, even to the point of love. But what do you do when they bring accusations against you? Well, it's obvious God's not working here because they're not saved. And that's response. I think they're the Antichrist. I believe that they've become apostate. And yet the Apostle Paul's love for this group of people staggers me. Absolutely staggers me. And that is the text that you looked at last week. Whether then you eat or drink. Right? Let's be realistic. Eating and drinking. Would those classify as the mundane? I mean, that's just the things, you know, and I keep thinking about Paul. Paul evidently did not know about drive throughs Okay, and how you learn to strengthen your faith by eating your quarter pounder with cheese and fries and a Coke and drive with your knee. Right? And then your cell phone rings. Right? Boy, I wish Paul would have been alive today and helped me figure out how to deal with that one. But whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, it's all to the glory of God. Do I do that? Because, see, until that becomes an emphasis in our hearts, it really doesn't matter what you do. You can say you love the word. You can say you love the church. You can say you love this and you do this and you do this. But if I am not willing to take the mundane things of my life, the eating and the drinking of my life, and do them as if I'm going to do them for the love of the Lord, I want to do them for his glory and his glory only. You're borderlining disqualification. Because until that becomes our emphasis. Have you ever thought about Paul's life? You who are Gentiles today are fruit of his ministry. Ask yourself a question. Did he do all things to the glory of the Lord? Amen. All right. And yet we think that we want to be missionaries. Or I believe God is leading me to wherever. Or I believe I need this ministry. And what you will deal with in the next few weeks will either, you know what, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what to do. I know that it has had a great, probably the greatest impact on my life. Uh, and the reason is a lot of this, God has sort of like connected the dots in my life. And what does it mean? So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump headlong. Father, It is you and you alone. Father, it is you and you alone. Father, I just praise you that uh, your grace abounds. Your power 
holds existence into into place. And Father, you change hearts. You change souls. You open eyes. You open ears. And you literally rip out hearts of stone and place hearts of flesh. Father, we can't change anybody. Father, we can't even change ourselves. And yet, Lord, that's what you're doing. Father, search my soul. Begin with me. To your praise and your glory. In Christ's name. Last week, we looked at dishonoring God. I wanted to show that because he's coming out of a text speaking of Israel as, a, as an illustration, as an example to the church today. And too many in the church today are not heeding that example nor that warning. If you were to ask any given Christian today, ask them, would you be willing to stand up and be disqualified for use in the body of Christ? Ask a Christian. Would you seek... It's morning, it's Monday morning or something. I would like to dishonor God today. But yet, coming out of chapter 9, he says, I run in such a way, not without aim, not without uncertainty. He says, I have a plan, I have a target. And I box, I buffet, I beat, I fight. In a way, it's not beating the air. He says, I'm not shadow boxing, I'm not practicing. I'm landing punches. But he says, I discipline my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I myself will not become useless to God. Why? Then he goes in and he describes Israel. And I dealt with this. We've looked at this at length. No Christian would say today, I will strive for disqualification. Today, I will make myself useless to God. And then I ask, and I see, and I witness, and I, and I ponder. But what are you doing to be useful to God? What does it mean to box myself? What does it mean to beat myself, to blacken my own eye? Well, that means, you know, taking every thought captive and da-da-da-da-da, you know, and I'm just going to make sure I'm not going to watch any R-rated movies, and I've removed HBO from that thing, and, you know, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that, and, uh, you know, if uh, there's pretty girls around, I'll wear sunglasses so they know that I'm not looking at them, and, you know, stuff like that. Well, that's what we do. That's what we do. How many of you walk into a grocery store and say, praise you God for my daily bread? No, most of us walk in and say, Lord, I'm buying. What do you want? I know you're getting tired of the bagel thing. You want some pumpernickel? You know how Paul describes the difference between lost and saved? They have a heart of gratitude. They're thankful for what? For everything. Why do we have to teach our children to say thank you when they receive something? Because they're lost. It's not natural to think. Why? I'm so important you should have given it to me an hour ago. And God says, no, you don't understand it. In the first seven chapters of this book, he's dealt with being single or married. Who's the best to serve the Lord? You know what happens in the church today? 
Is it best to be single or married to serve the Lord? The married people will say, single. (laughs) And the single people will say, married. And I got people who said, you know what? You just preached on that too long. Really? Did I? Did you believe it? Did your life change in front of it? No, then I didn't preach on it long enough. I dealt with sin in the first seven chapters. Even the sin of immorality. A man in your church, Corinth, has taken his father's wife. And you say, that's pretty cool. That just shows love, doesn't it? And they were commending each other about it. Look, that's cool. Why? We're free in Jesus. I dealt with personality cults. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Apollos. I am of John MacArthur. I am of Precepts. I am of R.C. Sproul. I am of, you know, whatever. Do you see what we just did? Three things in verses 23 through 11.1 will enable you to glorify God. You can see them on your outline here, but you're going to find out that when I put three points on an outline, that means I couldn't get the rest on. Because I can look at point one, and I know right now that there's four sub-points, and I know that each of the sub-points of point one have about six sub-sub-points. Okay, so if you're taking notes, I hope you have a new ink pen. Because you're going to do some serious writing in the next few weeks. How does this freedom that I have in Christ glorify God? You know what? And this, this is a text for America. This is a text for America. I've had people tell me, you know what? I am being led someplace. I, I believe God. I need to go do this. And God's going to take me to this missions field. And I ask them. How do you know that? Well, I prayed about it. Did anybody else pray? Yeah. Somebody somewhere prayed about it. Do you know when the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were sent out to reach the Gentiles? Do you know who prayed about it? Five pastors prayed about it. And all five pastors said, you know what? The Holy Spirit is telling me that Paul and Barnabas ought to go do this thing. Oh, well, you know, preacher, uh, that's just because you're biased. Let me tell you something. You're never going to be moved out of your comfort zone for the Lord Jesus Christ if you're not sacrificing where you're sitting right now. Okay? There's one single thing that is the greatest sacrifice that any human being can give. And you know what it is, right? Time. How much time do I give to my king and his manifestation at this point in my life? Okay, Is he cursory? That's what Paul is dealing with in this text, brother and sister. This thing is American-based. What is my ministry? Let me tell you something. If you don't have a ministry in the body of Christ right now, 
You don't ever have to worry about it expanded. You can go get busy. You can do a whole bunch of stuff. But it'll never be for God. And don't now, you know what? A blind, a blind pig can find slop. I mean, every once in a while, you might, oh, look, somebody got saved. All right, you might be able to pull that off. But you know what I love about this text right here? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how long you've walked with the Christ. I don't care how long you've known Christ. I don't care what your educational background is. All of this is for everybody, whether you are Adam or Al. Uh, Cool, huh? I got it covered, didn't I? (laughs) Al says, yeah, thanks for covering that. All right. But my question is, you know, I have people who come to me and they, they have all kinds of things. They say, well, Terry, I believe you listen to too much of this or you should listen more of this or you should do this. You know what? I need to listen to Christ. What does Christ say? How did he say he would build his church? How did he say he would expand your ministry? How did he say that I would use you? And you know what is taught today in the church? It's non-biblical. Sorry, but it isn't. It's flesh driven. It's man driven. It's consumer driven, whatever you want to call it. It is what is comfortable with me. You know, I was discussing this with my wife. When I was young man and I I wasn't saved, I traveled a lot. I seen all kinds of things. All right. As I came to salvation and, and God sort of solidified me, my wife will tell you that, boy, did you solidify you turned into a concrete pillar that just sits there. Okay, now she says it a lot nicer, but 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 it, it, it's stuff like that. Now all of a sudden God says, "But I need you to travel." You know what my response is? No. Okay, now I know none of you have ever told God no, but I do have my shortcomings, and occasionally He says, "I need you to not no." Okay. And I remember one time that I wanted to go travel, and I'll tell you why I was going to go travel. You know who my roommate was going to be? John MacArthur. And I'm saying, yes, this is going to be great. Okay, And we were going to go preach at the first seminary graduates of the newfound freedom in the Soviet Union. You know what God said? No. <laughs> and I said, well, you told me to go travel. This is only perfect. This would bring you glory. And he says, no, this will puff your butt up. (laughs) And I didn't go. And I couldn't understand it. So you know what I did? I got mad at him. Now, I didn't show it. I mean, I didn't say, come on down here and fight like a man. I didn't do anything that dumb. I mean, I've seen people who are willing to do that. But I sat back and I said, let me tell you something, Lord. You keep telling me to travel. And you know what? I ain't going to. I had the perfect trip. I had the cash to do it. I had the time to do it. And it would only be what, Lord? And we've already looked at this. He says, you who think you can stand, do what? Take heed, lest you fall. We looked at, uh, hmm, we looked at a lot, haven't we? Looked at, at eight. It says, love does what? Edifies. Knowledge does what? Puffs up. So when I look at this text, I look at the wisdom of our freedom in verses 23 through 30, the wisdom of our freedom. Okay. And you know what? 
some of you have been here since I started. First Peter was the first book that I preached. They concluded after that text that I should stay. And I went into Matthew. Some of you have been here since First Peter. Some of you have been here since Matthew. Some of you have been here since Second Timothy. Some of you come in in Hebrews um, and on and on and on. But understand this. My primary responsibility, my primary goal is to take you as deep into the word of God as I can get. Okay. And you know what? Some of you, some of you can't hold your breath that long. So you sputter and and some of you, some of you eat it up, but some of you, when you eat it up, you walk out. Puffed up. Some of you wander into it and think, oh my Lord, how am I ever going to get a handle on all this? And you know what? If you really believe that you can take the word of God and get a handle on all 66 books, you're a braver soul than I'll ever be. You're a braver soul than I'll ever be. What is the wisdom of our freedom? You know what? This body has wisdom. Some of you have more than others. But there are several truths in this wisdom, especially 23 through 30, that we can use our liberty, our freedom, so it glorifies God. All right? So, if you've got your little bulletin there and you want to try to make an outline and show all the subpoints that you want to deal with, your first subpoint would be this edification over gratification. Verse 23 All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Simple, isn't it? But if I take that 1023, I can also go back to 612. You know why? 612 says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. Okay? So, you see, he's already, he's still in the same thing. But I thought it wasn't. Yeah, he asked the question. He started answering their question in 8.1. But the truth of the matter is, he'd already been dealing with it in chapter 6. Chapter 7, he dealt with married and single. But in chapter 5, he dealt with sexual immorality. And why aren't you dealing with it and confronting it? You know what? I have seen this as a slogan. And it has been used by many people. I believe that it was used by the Corinthians. I believe that perhaps the Apostle Paul may have used it and many repeated it because they kind of liked the idea of it. Do I need to illustrate how this can be misused? All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Do I really need to illustrate that? You who have been in the church, I don't care how long, have seen it abused. You have seen it corrupted. You have seen it perverted. Now, again, I want to keep in mind, I'm not talking about the things of God that he says no or yes. 
Okay, too many times we say, well, uh, it says here adultery. All things are lawful and all things are profitable. You know, I'm thinking that adultery may not be profitable if I'm still married, but I'm not sure that that woman or that man was God's gift to me, so I'll divorce that one so I can what? Expand my ministry. We all have seen how it is misused. The phrase came from the Apostle Paul. So he is under the power of the Holy Spirit. So I know that it is true. Its limits are there that you put on it. It started out in 8.1 on eating meat sacrificed to idols. And the Apostle Paul says, come on, common sense says an idol is what? Nothing. It is silly. But if eating the meat sacrificed to an idol causes a younger believer to stumble, what does Paul say? I'll never eat meat. You ever thought about that? I remember Wayne telling me one time uh, when apartheid was collapsing, one of the, the big churches in South Africa is Dutch Reform. Uh, and they literally believe that you, you celebrate the Sabbath and from sundown on Friday through sundown on Saturday, you don't eat meat. And they asked Wayne to come and teach. You're not going to get Wayne not to eat meat that long. Okay? I mean, it's, the only one that's going to happen if God just seals his mouth shut. Um, and so he was there with church leaders and his deal was, you know what? These are church leaders. These are men of knowledge. They're supposed to know this. And you know what? If you want to fast, knock yourself out. I ain't. And so he would eat with them. And the whole time that he was dealing with that, he was teaching them. Now he will tell you that had he had a young believer, what would he have done? He would not have eaten. But when you got pastors and bishops and all them people who were the hierarchy of the Dutch Reformed Church that he was meeting with at Johannesburg, you know what his thing was? You guys should know better. You should know better. He says here, do I understand that not all things are profitable? Do I understand that not, some of your translations may say expedient or beneficial? Profitable. The key is, does it strengthen? Does it build up? Does it edify? Okay. First of all, is it lawful? Does God's word say anything about it? If it's lawful. But now, does it benefit? Okay. Now I want to deal with Americans. Does it strengthen? Okay. Here's the question when you step into that venue. All right. When you're getting ready to make this decision. If what I'm going to do, is it neutral or positive? All right. Because I've looked at the word of God and it's not unlawful. So it isn't negative. But now the question is, is it neutral or is it positive for what? To strengthen me, to grow me. Peter, uh, my wife's Sunday school class, you guys looked at this. You need to crave this pure spiritual milk of the word so that what would happen? That you may grow by it. I have a better one for you. 
Okay, everybody that has a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, uh, my loving term for you this day would be repent. I want you to go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 18. Actually, yeah. That work. Actually, I want to keep the context here. Verse 17 and 18. He's concluding his letter. He's concluding his letter. All right. First Peter, he says, I want you to grow. Right? Second Peter, you would think that Second Peter and Jude were written by the same guy, but they weren't. But I want you to think about these because I shared with you the greatest thing that bothers me in the in, in ministry right now is that discernment seems to be gone. I don't I don't have a word for it. Discernment. When I point out something biblically, there is a normal response that I get. And it's usually I'm a legalist. You're a legalist. Why? Because the Bible says, well, but you know, that was, never mind. You know, experience says this. Fine, fine, fine. All right. But I want you to think about this term here because this is what he's doing. He's concluding his letter. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. You got what he just said there? All right. He said it really nicely. Okay. Paul kinds of says it this way. You don't know this? Okay, meaning that not only have you been exposed to it, not only do you understand it, why aren't you retaining it? That's the way Paul writes it. Peter was a little bit better. But he says, you already know this. Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of what? Unprincipled men. Unprincipled, what does that mean? Shucksters, liars, deceivers, or deceived. Unprincipled men and fall from your own what? Do you understand what he just said there? He says, you've got a good, solid foundation. You know a lot of stuff. You've been exposed to a lot of stuff. You've seen a lot of stuff. You've, you've taught things. God's used you. You've bore fruit and you think it's just absolutely cool. But he says, you know what? You need to be on guard because there are people who will come in and what? Literally cause you to fall from your steadfastness? I just seen this. I was experienced of experiences. There's a lady who is in my mother's church, a phenomenal woman of God, has been through the ringer. I mean, her medal is tested. Uh, her husband just died a few months ago. Uh, she's had some problem with her, her 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 kids and grandkids, so she's had to rely on God. She's seen what God does. She understands. She used to. If those of you who know what Nelda Thomas does. She teaches people the precept method. That's what she used to do. She's taught every precept class that's ever been out. And some of them more than one time. We're not talking an idiot in Scripture. We're not even talking about somebody who's not stood on a foundation that says God works here. She got her hand on a book on the second coming 
And I'm not telling you who it is, but let me tell you this. If you want to know about the second coming of Jesus Christ, read your Bible. The whole Bible, which means I need, you need to be looking at Thessalonians. You need to look at Revelations. You need to look at First and Second John. You need to look at Ezekiel. You need to look at Daniel. You need to spend a little time. Okay? Don't read somebody's book. Anyway, she has bought this guy's book. That this guy's book has the best understanding of revelation and it contradicts what she has taught. What happened? I would give anything if I had the Bible knowledge that she had. But then when I watched that happen, I, part of me says, boy, I am thankful I don't have that knowledge. Why? Knowledge does what? And I don't know what happened. When I get ready to make a decision, is it neutral? Is it positive? If I have this choice between neutral and positive, if, if all you have is a choice between neutral and neutral, what will you accomplish? Now, remember, I'm talking about what you, you can call the gray areas. The Bible doesn't say. But this has neutral or neutral benefits. I have watched people over and over and over again saying, if I get this education, this degree, this understanding, then I can go and meet the needs of this people in this land, in this situation. Okay, let me ask you a question. Could Jesus meet needs? What need could not Jesus meet? I mean, he, he could create food. Uh, he could raise the dead so they can get up and eat. Uh, he can get paralyzed to get up. Let me ask you a question. Meeting those people's physical needs, how big a benefit was it for Jesus? And yet we today believe that we can grasp what? And you will do what? It is the normal mantra of the evangelical that you need to get the door open by meeting their physical needs. You know what? Where did that truth come from? Ask yourself that question. Where did that truth come from? Who created that truth? Where in the Bible does that, is that taught? What have we just done? You know what? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think it's great to meet people's physical needs. But you know what it accomplishes? Zero, zip, nada. Now think about this. Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. Okay, Mary and Martha are going, who can you believe that? Okay, the whole group that was outside that grave, who can you believe that? 
All right? I mean, the whole buzz went into Jerusalem, and the, and the Pharisees and Sadducees are going, I can't believe that. What are we going to do now? Okay, now we think about that text, and that, isn't that amazing? That would be meeting somebody's physical needs, wouldn't it? But you know what you miss out of that? Lazarus had to die. He still had to die. Okay? We, we completely missed that. All the miracles that Jesus accomplished, the paralyzed, the eyes, the arms, the legs, everything, the, the leprosy, the, the demon possessed, and all of the rest of it, guess what? They still were afflicted and died. Every one of them. So let me ask you a question. How long will you continue to meet their physical needs? Till they die. And you think, gee, man, crickets, I poured all of this resources, I poured all of this stuff in it, and that bugger still died. So what'd you just do? But my heart was absolutely, praise God. But what happened to the eternal? Well, if I meet the physical needs, it opens the door to the eternal. How well did that work for Jesus? See what we just did? Why? I had a choice. Okay, is it a positive or is it a neutral? You know, I hate to say this, but I'm going to. Worrying and dealing with the temporal is a neutral. It's a neutral. Why? If I give somebody some food today, how long will it last? Till tomorrow. And what did I accomplish? I don't know. It depends if you had some old stuff, tomato soup in your closet that had dust on top of it. And you don't know where it came from. I think tomato soup reproduces itself because it just, and you know, maybe you like tomato soup. I like to give it to help meet needs. <laughs> okay. But does it have an eternal ramification or does it have a temporal ramification? Okay. Does it open a door? That's the thing that we have to be. What is the profit in it? What will it profit? What will it strengthen? When I get ready to make these decisions in the wisdom of my freedom, does it have a neutral application or does it have a positive application? Will it profit? Listen, it is this simple edification over gratification. That would be a sub point edification over gratification. Too many times we want to make a decision that will do what for us? Bring me gratification. It made me feel good. I mean, I went to this one church when I was in Russia and, we, and I preached there. And this lady was so moved by what I taught. She, and I mean, you're, to say this is a poor church it would be the underestimate of the world. Okay, because let me tell you something. They have an outhouse that ain't on their property and they're going to have to dig another one. But it's cool. They've got a men and a women's outhouse. Okay, 
And I went in and used the outhouse. And let me tell you something. My grandparents had outhouses and their outhouses looked like mansions compared to this thing because I looked at this and said, oh my Lord. Okay, that doesn't belong to you. Praise God. This place was dirt poor. Dirt poor. And when I got done preaching, this lady had made all of these, I don't know what they were. She called them poor men's sandwiches. And it hurt me to eat it. I'm sitting there with probably $1,000 in my pocket that would probably feed her for gee many crickets a millennia. And she is taking all that she has to feed the preacher. I don't know what they were. They looked like sort of an omelet on, I don't know what it was. Had a piece of bread on it and had something that I don't know if it was potatoes or eggs or yes. And, and then she had a bunch of tea. And that's what she gave. She gave us. And I, I was trying my best. No, no, no. And my interpreter said, I'm thinking that maybe you shouldn't go that direction. She said, this man has come and fed me the word of God. How can I not feed him? You know, Ed and I were talking about this the other day. How many in this room think that your money, your possessions are yours and you dole them out as you deem necessary? What happens when he takes them all? Just a question. Edification over gratification. It's not a matter of satisfying yourself. It's not a matter of what pleases you. Did you know that? Will it build you up? Will it benefit those involved? I mean, I remember preaching that fifth chapter of Revelations on that day of proclamation, that whole holiday there, and literally could watch the tears start running from the people. They literally started crying. Because they were celebrating when Gabriel the angel come and told Mary, it is time you will have a child. He is Messiah. And I said, let me show you something cool about that. And I took Revelation 5. Who is worthy to open the seals? Well, it's the lamb as is slain. I preached it here Resurrection Sunday. And I preached that to him. And you literally could watch the crowd start crying. And I know that I'm not that good a preacher. But I could watch the Spirit of the living God say, these people all look for heaven. They want to be with the 24 elders and living creatures and the myriads upon myriads, thousands upon ten thousands that are singing the praises of holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. That's their goal. The word edify in the Greek has to do with building a house. Okay, so when you build a house, how do you build a house? Well, you put the roof together and then you throw some walls underneath it and then you try to find someplace stable to put it on, right? House come when we want to walk spiritually with God. That's how we do it. Most Christians in this day and age, you know what they do? I want it to be seen first. But you know what? I built houses and if you haven't got the plumbing in, which is buried, by the way, 
Okay, if you haven't got the electricity in, which in most cases is buried, by the way, and on a foundation, which is, oh, by the way, buried, which means that who sees it? Nobody. But let me tell you something. If you don't do those right, you got one stinky, dark, crooked house. Don't you? How many in the church today are living in dark, stinky, crooked houses? That's what the Apostle Paul uses here. The term that he uses here is that I'm going to edify, I'm going to build a house. How are you going to build a house, Paul? Well, just like any normal person would build a house. Everything I do, everything you do as as a Christian is to build up that you grow. Did you know that? Do you know that when you wake up in the morning and you fumble through the house, my wife and I kind of share this responsibility on who can get over and get the coffee pot together and, and find the coffee. And, and has anybody ever gone in there? Um, I've run into this, and this tests my spiritual maturity on a regular basis. You go up cruising in there, and you kind of got one eye open. You, and, you know, and I've lived in the house long enough, and I'm mad at the cat already, and the dog is... I don't even know where he's at. And then, so I'm cruising through and I open up the cover and I take out the coffee can. I open it up and I look in there and there's about enough for half a spoonful of coffee. Okay, so then what do you do? Well, you thank God and you go look around and see if there's any more in the other cupboards, right? No, the first thing you do is, who can I hit with this can? <laughs> now, I know you guys are way more spiritual than me. Okay. And you know what? I, I bet you there's times I've done it to my wife and she says, I know I can hit him with this cam because odds are he ain't even out of bed. <laughs> but have you ever thought about that? How did you just grow? Because he says whether you're eating or you're drinking, what are you doing? For the glory of God. And if I want to glorify God, then I need to be What? Edified. If I'm going to be edified, then I have to understand that it is edification over gratification. How many of us want to hear attaboys? You did good. Have you ever listened to it? We tell our kids, you ought to hear that. I showed you. Remember what he said in Second Peter. Be very, very careful, he says. Why? Because if you're not careful... You're going to fall from your steadfastness, and there's only one way to fall from your steadfastness, and that is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's how Peter concluded it. How am I going to be steadfast? How can I stay in a position of edification over gratification? Easy. I'll give you some tools. All right? We're going to build a house. How am I going to do it? So I'm going to give you four tools. This would be a sub-sub point. Edification, gratification. How can I be in that place? Number one tool. Acts 20, verse 32. Paul to the Ephesian elders. What did he say? Now he warns them, but he also has this. I commend you to what? The word of his grace, which is able to do what? Depending on your translation, it may say build you up. It may say edify. It may say strengthen you. It may say grow you. Depending on your translation. So if I'm going to 
Look and make sure what I'm doing is edification, not gratification. First tool that I want to make sure I've got in my little tool bag to make sure I'm building this thing is the word of the Lord. Now listen, what he's talking about right there is that you need to be in the book. Okay? You, individually. Listen, you don't need to be in books about the book. I don't have any problem with that. But when I can watch people stand in line to get a a fictional book about the second coming of Jesus Christ, knowing that the author is in litigation right now for the producers of his movie because he doesn't believe that he was asked enough questions on producing the movie, I have a real problem. I know, it's a personal thing. But let me explain something to you. It's fictional. You can't look at the UN and wait for a guy named Carpathian and say, Hand Christ. And I see people doing that. Well, all we have to do is wait for this guy. Oh, give me a break. You would wait in line to buy a book that is fictional that has some truth in it? How many would wait in line for a study of Scripture? I just came back from a place that had people who would wait in line for a study of Scripture. And all I could think of is, I'm here to teach them what? They got it better figured out and I'll ever have it figured out. So the Ephesian elders, the Apostle Paul said, and I find this fascinating because this is part of being elder. I commend to you to the word of his grace, which is able to strengthen you, to build you up, to edify you. Second, second thing. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse three. But if one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Did you get what he just said there? Okay, now I know what he's talking about. He's contrasting preaching in tongues. And a lot of people want to speak in tongues. Okay. How many people come to hear preaching? That's prophecy, by the way, in case you're trying to figure it out. Prophecy is public proclamation. Sort of like, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye type thing. How many people do that? How many of us have that passion? I want to hear preaching. I want to hear good. You know what? How many of us think that good storytelling is good preaching? Because there's some great storytellers out there. You know what? There's some guys out there who illustrate the stew out of their sermons. And I keep thinking, great illustrations. But he says, if you preach... You will first, what? Edify. You know what that means? It helps you put your undergrounds in your house. It helps you bury your your sewer lines. It helps you bring your water lines in. It helps you to bring uh, electricity in. It helps you with a foundation in the footers so the bugger will set solid when the hard rains come. But you know what is amazing to me? He says, an exhortation and consolation. Do you know what he's saying there? You know what exhortation is, right? That means I'm going to come alongside because the path that you're on 
is going to lead you into a ditch. And so I need to walk with you. And how am I going to help you? Preaching the word. You know what? I don't care what age you are. I don't care if you're Adam to Al. But kids can't sit through preaching. You, Amen. Neither can adults. That's why anyone who would try to do this and doesn't use the person of the Holy Spirit is wasting their time and their hearer's time. I think they call that, I got in trouble for this one, but I, what can I say? That's that anointing thing. Okay, Jesus said, I have been anointed to preach the good news. Anyway. Um, but you know what else it does? It consoles. It consoles. You know what that is? <laughs> Lord help me. Allie, I'm not picking on you. <laughs> we call that counseling today. Counseling. Don't get me wrong. Preach the word. In season, out of season. And if you have to use words, preach it. But you know how you're going to console people? You know how you're going to counsel people? You know how you're going to draw people and grow them up so they can stand? Preach the word. Preach the word. What do we do? What, what has happened to us? Well, let me tell you about the word. What does that mean? The Bible's a cool book. But I have a great one here. Uh, I'm not going there. It will build you up. So I'm going to read the scripture. I'm going to study the scripture. I want to hear preaching of the scripture. Why? It will build me up. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. But you can't just stay in there. Why? It says, knowledge puffs up and what does love do? Do, 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 do. Love edifies. Love what? Strengthens. It helps you get your house built. Ask yourself this simple question. Jesus Christ is love, right? Right? Somebody acknowledge me. Kindle, acknowledge me. All right. Jesus, her eyes get real big. Oh my gosh. I did that to a little kid at the Transfiguration Church and I think he needs counseling. But anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. Love does what? What was the boundary of Jesus Christ's love? How much of Jesus Christ's love did he withhold? And you know what? You have got no ability whatsoever to love that way if you have not what? Studied the book? Heard the preaching of the book? Do you see how it all builds together? Because the love that Jesus Christ says is not comfortable. The love of Jesus Christ says, here I am. I will be poured out as a drink offering. You can do whatever it wants. Even accuse me in the church that I founded. Accuse me of sexual immorality. And I will not stop loving you. Nor will I put a boundary on my love. And yet, how many of us is told to put boundaries? They're safety places. It's edification over gratification. 
Fourth tool you want in your toolbox? I didn't know how to put this one, so I've got two words here. Both of them work well. Comes out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. I call it obedience. Um, it will be service. When I am obedient to what he's given me, I will be given service. I will be given a ministry. Okay, if I'm not obedient to what he gives me, then I'm going to go out and do whatever I want. Right? Chapter uh, 4, verse 12 of the book of Ephesians says this. 11, he gave some to be apostles and prophets. That's the foundation and the cornerstone. Some to be evangelists. What is that? That would be the guys who have the heart for lost people. All right. And then some pastor teachers. Literally, it should be one word. It's not pastors and teachers. It's not two offices. Here's why I always look at that. You can be a teacher and not be a pastor. But you can't be a pastor and not be a teacher. Evangelists, this I have an evangelism ministry. Where is your office? Where is your accountability? Well, my wife and my office and my house and all the rest of it. That's not biblical. Evangelists are where? In the church. To draw people to the church. So what? It will happen. The pastor teacher can do what? Strengthen them for the work of... says it right there. Work of service. So the holy ones for the work of service. For the equipping them. So give them the tools so that they can do what? Serve. If I'm not doing it God's way, then what are you doing? So if I'm going to edify, if I want edification over gratification, I have to study the word. I have to hear the word. I have to have that love that will come from those two events. And that love will draw me to what? Obedience. Service. To do the things that you do based on what? The love that Jesus Christ has poured in my heart. Okay? Well, what does that love look like? Study the scriptures. Hear the word preached. We who are free in Christ, we want to do what builds you up. Right? Wouldn't we want to do that? I don't care who you are. Adam, dude, you who are of Christ, do you want to build up other Christians? Joshua, you want to build up other Christians? How are you going to do it? Study the word. Hear the word. Understand his love from those two events and be obedient to what he's given me. Here it is. Do this. I don't want to work in the nursery. I don't want to clean the church. I don't want to shovel the sidewalk. Back up to the other three places. You have to go to step one and two. Why? Because it's obvious if you don't want to, how much love you got. You got a lot. (laughs) It's all yours too. So I go back up. I'm going to study the word. I'm going to... And listen, anybody here get bored studying the Bible? Anybody get every once in a while you say, Fuck off, just like eating a bucket full of dirt. I mean, I have studied scriptures and I read it every day. And there's times I'll tell you I love you guys. And I'm on, this is confessional time from your pastor. I read that sucker and it is as mechanical as any machine. Why? I'm teaching Burke of 1 Corinthians. I'm getting ready to do 2 Corinthians. I tell you guys every day that I read them every day. So guess what I need to be doing? Reading them every day. Now the second one. I know. He reads in tongues. No. 
Okay? And you know what? Every time that I get in there about halfway through a book, no, nah, I can't say that. Every once in a while, I've gotten through all the way through 1 Corinthians, dropped right into 2 Corinthians about halfway through. He says, why are you doing this? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Why? Anytime I'm in the scriptures and it feels like dirt to me, plain old, you know, I might as well be memorizing Macbeth. Um, what are you doing it for? For your knowledge, not for your love. Why? Knowledge does what? Puffs up. Now you got a whole bunch of facts. What good are you? You're, you're, you're as, as much use as my computer. If you don't turn it on, it doesn't do nothing. You know what? If my computer hasn't saved anybody. It will spiritually test you, but it will not save you. <laughs> so we have that. If I'm free in Christ, this is vital. I want you to go to um, back to 1 Corinthians 14 quickly. Verse 26. <clears throat> okay, he's still talking about this. Uh, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or, uh, or an ungifted man enters and convicted by all, why? How, how are you going to get people saved? You ever watch, see this text? This is an amazing text to me because it defies what we're taught. How do people get saved? Preaching the word. That's what it says. If you're prophesying and a man comes in, what happens? He's exposed to the preaching of the word. And God will do whatever God wants to do. All right. Anyway, that's what he's talking about. 26 says, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you are assembled, each one has a psalm. You know what a psalm is, right? It's a praise to God. Okay. Did you know the Psalms could be sung? I've seen them sung, but they were sung in Russian, so I have no idea. Okay. But it's, it's kind of cool. But anyway, if anyone has a Psalms, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, and has the interpretation, let all things be done for what? Ooh, there's that thing again. Edification, not gratification. All things are to be done for what? Everything you do has an end result. Did you know that? And it should be for your strengthening. And maybe even for somebody around you strengthening. Why? 1 Corinthians is personal holiness, right? 2 Corinthians is ministry. Turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 19. Verse 15 is one of the most powerful texts that I've ever dealt with. It's got an orange arrow in my Bible. Orange is powerful for me, in case you were wondering what the color coding was for. It says this, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Then drop down, look what it says. At this time, you've been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Now, he's defending some of the accusations that's come against him as an apostle. Okay, Defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is inside of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Why? That all of your, all for your what? Edification or your upbuilding, your strengthening. This is after he's been attacked. That's ministry. 
Everything I do is for what? That's what Paul's saying. Everything I do is to either strengthen myself or those God has given me. Grab that thought. The kids need to grab that thought. You who have known the Lord for a long time need to grab that thought. Ask yourself a simple question. Everything I do is for what reason? Edification or gratification? Well, you know, I think I'm 50-50. Then you need to start over. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Oh, I love this text. Encourage one another. What is that? This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Therefore, encourage one another. And what? Speaking of the second coming of Jesus Christ is one thing, and then you have another thing. What is that? Build one another up. How are you going to build one another up? I gave you four tools. Your personal study of the Bible, the preaching of scriptures, love, and service. How are you going to do that? You're going to build people up. That is how God says this is the plan. You know what's cool about it? There's no plan B. See, I always get messed up with plan B's. Do you ever get messed up with plan B's? Give me plan A and let's get her done. All right? I don't need plan B. Why? Plan B is always more complicated. Let's just do plan A. We do plan A, then we don't have to worry about what plan B is. You know what the church in America is? I think we're on like plan X. Or maybe Q. All right? And I'll keep thinking, but what does he say here? Well, that just, you know, that's all cultural. That's just, oh, give me. Anyway, we need to edify one another. Why do we come together? It's not because we all have this bubbly effervescence of personalities that we just love to see everybody smile. Why do we come together? It should be for the strengthening of one another. Edification over gratification. That determines what I do with my Christian freedom. Okay? Ask yourself. I have this gray area. I'm getting ready to exercise. I am free in Christ. Do I have the right to do that? Question number one. Sure. Yes. Okay, the second question. Will it build me up? Or is it neutral? Let's be realistic. Anybody here waste some time? Move away from that. <laughs> God's going to send a lightning bolt down and say, watch this never. <laughs> okay? But when you waste time, think about it. You're dealing with eternal things. How much of that do you want to waste? Think about it from this perspective. Do I want to be disqualified? Do I want to be useless to God? Okay? So... Will it build me up? Now, will it build up other people around me? You know why I study Scripture first and foremost? To fall more and more in love. Second, to spill it on anybody that comes into my life. Okay, because I would like to say I pour it. I don't. My wife pours. I spill. Well, I do. I just once while I just jump up and stuff just spills everywhere. Will it build up other people? Okay? 
So is it right to do it? Will it build me up? Will it build up other people's? If you get a yes on all three, not two out of three or any of the best of any of those, all three, guess what I'm going to tell you to do? Do it. It isn't complicated. Do it. All right. Why? That's the wisdom of our freedom. First, edification over gratification. In the weeks to come, we will look at others over self, liberty over legalism, and condescension over condemnation. I worked at these, but <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, no idea how bad my brain hurts <laughs> to try to get all those again. Okay? And that is all in 23 through 30. That is the wisdom of your freedom. The wisdom of your freedom. Listen, this is what the Lord says. All right? Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for this, for this time and for your word. And Father, Father, have you made this a living proof to me? Father, I still fall so way short. Father, help me. Father, may the love you have shown me be the thing that I be known for. And Father, may through that love I have nothing but, but obedience. Help me, Lord. But Father, help this fellowship. Help these precious souls. Let them understand the eternals. Let them understand personal holiness. Father, let them understand your will, your way, your desires, your heart. Father, may we all strive to hear well done, true and faithful servant. Father, may we lay train loads of crowns at your throat at your throne. Father, just with the privilege of being being in your kingdom and yet, Father, even being a part of building it. Father, don't let us build in the dark. Don't let us build crooked. Father, let us build to your glory. With your praise, in Christ's name, amen.